So uh, Doug asked me to tell you a little bit about what's going on there. I don't want to take much time, but right now we are working into um, 21 countries, I think. We're supporting 12 different church planters. We've got three in the church planter training right now. Lee's one of them, in fact, and that's really exciting to us. Uh, one of the things that has us really, you know, hopping right now in terms of activity and energy is that next month we're doing our first church planting conference. So it's going to be online. We've never done anything like that before. Uh, but we're, we're going to be doing it on February 26th and 27th. So it's a Friday night and a Saturday afternoon for, to inspire people with church planting, to equip people towards church planting, to attract church planters into GCC. So if you're here and you have any interest in church planting, any interest in supporting church planting, if you're wondering what church planting even is, I, I want to encourage you to register for it because I think it's going to be a great event. Books will be given away and, and there will be many blessings coming your way as a result of being a part of that. So I'm, I'm grateful that, that this church is a vital part of, of GCC. And, you know, we're not, we're not a big group. And we don't consider ourselves exceptionally talented. But we are trying to be faithful. And I'm so glad that we get to try to be faithful together. So thank you. If you're joining us online... This morning, where is the camera? There it is. Okay. Hi. Thank, thanks for joining us. Um, I've been asked to teach from Psalm 63. I know that's awkward, but it's awkward for me too. So uh, I've been asked, to, at least you're not standing or sitting with a, a TV right behind you and not even wondering what it's there for. So like if I get boring, does Netflix show up on there? Is that what this is all about? <laughs> Psalm chapter 63 in the series titled Refreshed, and I'm going to be reading from this passage and then speaking a message on the topic of refreshed from an empty soul. Refreshed from an empty soul. So Psalm 63, I'm going to read the first eight verses. Please read along with me. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate upon you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand 
upholds me. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, this, this passage is bursting with, with truth and pathos, and things that we need to learn, and an experience of you that we want to have. And so we pray that you would meet us this morning and help us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One hardly needs to be a prophet to observe that 2020, with its pandemic, civil unrest, the election fatigue, is that the best word? Has left many of us feeling hollow, vacant, like like much of the spiritual life has just been flushed right from our body. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you feel that. You identify with that right away. You feel empty, like a waterless well, spiritually parched, emotionally dry, needing refreshed. Well, if that's you, I believe we can discover together that David can identify with our experience. David, the great king himself, could relate. Because in Psalm 63, before us in Psalm 63 is a hymn. It's composed by a time where David was under substantial duress in his life, where a time where his heart was so empty, he could barely rest, he could barely find hope. And you know what? As we study together and we learn the details of this story, we're going to discover that the facts are not pretty at all. For instance, fact, Absalom, David's son, has stolen the heart of the people through an act of betrayal, and he's had himself declared as king. Fact, the son was now trying to kill the father. Fact, David has been set adrift. David is running for his life. David is disoriented and utterly exhausted in this season of his life. And in 2 Samuel chapter 15, it says David's entourage, quote, passed through the Kidron Valley and moved on toward the desert. And it is in this barren land that David's heart crashes. It just crashes. That's when he's writing this. Because he feels lost and weak and alone and dry, spiritually empty, having to deal with his son, having to deal with, a, with an experience as a father of parenting that he never expected. Some say there are few blows that crush the soul, like the betrayal from one's child. 
that sucks the life out of you until each day becomes a kind of funeral where you mourn the death of what our family could have been, what our family should have been. If you can identify with any of that, God wants to remind you this morning, David can as well. David has something to say. Because in that hour of darkness, this is unbelievable, but David composes a song. It's a song that embodies how he wants to respond. It's a song that embodies how he will respond when he feels empty. And as we study this, one emerging theme is going to is going to provide a kind of overarching premise to the whole psalm, and that is this. Quite simply, empty is as empty does. Empty is as empty does. Now, I recognize that that phrase is probably going to hit you in one or two ways. Either you're going to be sitting there and saying, "Um, huh, you know, what are you saying? You're up there babbling in tongues. What is that? Or you're going to be saying, you know what? That kind of sounds like that Forrest Gump thing that, you know, that his, his, his mom said. Forrest, Forrest felt very stupid about himself, and he was convinced he was stupid. And so his mother said to him one day, and I, I do terrible Southern accents, but something to the effect of Forrest, stupid is as stupid does, meaning that true intelligence is found in actions, not in feeling. In actions, not in labels. It's revealed in what we do, not necessarily in how we feel about ourselves. So empty is, as empty does, means that desire is sometimes reclaimed by actions, not feelings. That desire is sometimes restored first by what we do, not by how we feel. And that's where David goes, and that's what we discover as we study Psalm 63. So let's look at it together at what David did so that we can discover what we should do to be refreshed, to be refreshed when we feel empty. So what should we do when we feel empty? Point number one, we go up. We go up. So again, remember the context. David is in the desert of Judah being hunted by his son Absalom. He is weary and famished and feeling desperate and unsatisfied. So what's his first step? What David does is he bears his heart to God. He says, oh God, you are my God. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You are my God. David begins by just reasserting God's role in his life. You are my God. You know, sometimes things are so complicated. Sometimes things are such a mess. Sometimes our life is so turned upside down that we just got to hit reset and go back to the very beginning. We kind of got to go back to kindergarten and remember where this whole thing started. Oh God, let me just get this straight. Let me lock this down. You are my God. Let's begin there. 
So he says to his soul, God, you are my God. Which is another way to say, I don't see you. I don't feel you. Everything I'm seeing and feeling in the natural seems to defy logic. Your existence seems to find logic. Your blessing in my life seems to defy logic, but that doesn't matter. You are my God. I love what John Calvin says of this passage. He said, quote, David does more than simply pray. He sets the Lord before him as his God. Don't you love that picture? He sets the Lord before him as his God. It's almost like David is saying, I know who owns me. I know the one I follow. Empty may be my feeling toward God, but empty is not God's feeling toward me. You are my God. See, one of the wonderful things about being a Christian is for the believer, God has fixed a reality in our life that is established from the cross and resurrection, not from how we feel each and every day. And what he's established in our life exists completely apart from our feelings and our circumstances. I'm not saying that feelings aren't important or circumstances can't affect us in a huge way. They are and they do. What I'm saying is that God has established that we are loved by God. We've been adopted into the family. We've been filled by the Holy Spirit, that we are headed in the direction to a heavenly city. And that objective reality never changes regardless of how we feel each and every day. And so another way to think about that is, yeah, there are going to be times where you're going to wake up in the morning thinking, I'm, it, it's just not there. I feel empty. But we have to add to that, I may feel empty, but God is full towards me. I may feel empty, but oh God, you are my God. So David goes up. And there's another side of this David goes up that's important to talk about as well. And that is that, that David seems to make God the answer to empty. You know, this is important because when desires are empty, our heart tends to reach out to what's most available and most comfortable. And we tend to move that into the center of our life, which can ultimately displace God temporarily, at least in our own focus. It kind of alters verse one to say, oh, job, you are my God. Or oh, media. You are my Facebook. You are my God. The things that we flee to for sanctuary, the things that we flee to for security, the places we go to feel better about ourselves. It can even be a good thing. It can be, oh, spouse, you are my God. Oh, local church, you are my God. But David, this is where he starts, and we have to fix our minds on the place that he fixed his mind, and that is, oh, God. You are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. My body longs for you. Derek Kidner says, David's whole being is restless and unsatisfied without God. Because David knows something we often miss. And that is that lost desires can only be found in God. So David goes up. He goes up. There's also another thing 
that lies just behind this idea of David going up, David saying, you are my God. And that is that David knows that God put him in the desert. That, that David's present place is a God thing. Despite what's happened in his life and the circumstances and the betrayal of his son, his present place is a God thing. See, when we cry out to God in the desert, we are rightly recognizing him as king and him as in control of our life. And you know why, that, why that's so important? Because it can be, we can be very tempted to become Absalom-centered in the way we look at each and every day. You know, as if Absalom is the one who's really in control. The events of our life are outside of God's control and these other things are actually influencing the course. So that in this passage, Absalom becomes not just a person, but he, he signifies that, that unexpected thing that's happened in your life that's diverted you from the path. David never, David never anticipated that when he was holding Absalom as a small child and pouring love into him, that his parenting experience would take this trajectory that would cause such pain and such difficulty. He never anticipated that. And yet he's locating God in the middle of it and making, making it God something that God has done. David never expected that betrayal. You have things in your life that are contributing to that sense of emptiness where you never expected it to go, go this way. You never expected life to roll in this direction. It could be the pandemic. It could be division within your family. Just the way that life has bent in this past season. And, and, and like David, you feel chased or harassed, betrayed, empty. But maybe, unlike David, you have been living blaming Absalom. Things that you think are really in control that are not really in control of your life, whether it's the economy or the loss that you've encountered in some way or the behavior of other people or the way that your boss is, 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 is treating you or, or just anything that might fall under that category. We, we almost feel at times like we're being defrauded by God because our life has been disrupted in such an unpredictable way. We never imagined in our 20s that we would be in this situation, in our 30s, in that situation, in our 50s, dealing with the kind of things that we're dealing with. And yet David, David's words seem to resolve something. They seem to assume something and they seem to resolve something. They seem to assume and resolve that God is not acting randomly. God is not acting punitively. That God has a good plan in his life. And that, and that God reserves the rights sometimes to act upon us and upon our life in such a way that is in our best interest, but he doesn't explain himself. It's not like he's sitting down and saying, uh, Dave, I want to run a few things past you. I've got this idea about how I can really be a blessing to you, but I want to clear it with you because I'm kind of a collaborative God. No, 
No, he's Lord and master and he's all seeing and all knowing and he loves us with this everlasting love. And so he prepares this plan that includes these experiences. And he says, you know what? There are gonna be times in your life where I'm going to empty you to reestablish my role in your life. Where I'm going to empty you to remind you of what dependence really means. Where I'm going to empty you to connect you with true faith so you encounter me in a whole new way. Where I'm going to empty you to wean you off of your emotions and wean you back upon dependence upon the living God. And that's what David encountered. That it's not first about how I feel each and every day. It's not even how I feel about who he is. It's about who he is. It's about what he's done for us. I'm here because God is there. I'm here because God sent his son. I'm here because his blood was shed. There's an empty tomb. I'm here because we have a heavenly home. We're kind of stuck between those two places right now, trying to make the best of it. And sometimes we wake up feeling empty, but this is an eternal reality. This is just the trailer before the main show. So if you woke up this morning feeling empty, follow David and go up. Because empty is as empty does. Point number two, go back. Go back. David says, I have looked upon you, verse two, in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. I I love that because he kind of harkens back. He kind of recalls times when he was satisfied in God. He goes back to memories of of the church for him. Old Testament, so to speak. He's saying, I remember times when my desires were filled. I remember experiences of power in the sanctuary. I remember encountering your love, he says in verse three, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I didn't read this, but in verse six, he speaks of remembering God on his bed and meditating back on the faithfulness of God. Verse seven, he th- he th- he's thinking back of times where God has been his help. He literally says, you have been my help. Don't miss what's happening here. David's soul may be empty, but oh, his mind is full because David is intentionally remembering back to times where God was real and he had experiences of God's faithfulness. And he's using them and pulling them forward as something that can encourage him in the present. See, this is one of the most striking features of our proposition of empty is as empty does, is that David may feel empty, but he decides to fill his mind with the past. He decides to respond to empty the way he lived when he was filled. He decides to respond to empty with the way he lived when he was satisfied. He says, hey, I'm gonna worship God. He says in verse four, so I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. I will praise you. I will lift my hands. My soul will be satisfied. He says, my lips will praise you. I will sing for joy. You see what's happening here? I mean, going back takes David 
back to this experience of God's love and God's faithfulness. It's kind of like David's taking the, uh, the jumper cables to jump a battery on a car. And he's taking them and he's attaching them to the past. And he's throwing a charge into the present. He's throwing a charge into today. He's saying, the battery's dead here. Hey, I got nothing. My battery's dead. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the cables. I'm going to attach it to these experiences of the past. I'm going to attach it to these memories of the past. I'm going to attach it to these reminders of God's promises, these times where God was faithful to me. And I'm going to use that to throw a charge into my present moment, which, which, is, which will then trigger a response of worship for him. It's an intentional strategy that David is employing because he feels empty. You know, the, the great evangelist, John Wesley, once, once said the following. He said, preach faith until you have it, and then preach faith because you have it. Well, David's approach here is very similar. He's praising God until he is filled, so that he can praise God because he is filled. But this is important. David worships not because his emotions are full on that day, but because he remembers that God is real, that God loves him, that God has acted on his behalf. And what going back does is going back helps him charge his soul in the present. It's like he's saying, I may be empty, but worship will fill me. And he gets, he gets, you know, I, I love some of the metaphors he, used, he uses because they're so rich. Verse five, he says, my soul will be satisfied. He's declaring this. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Don't you, don't you love that, that idea? I mean, I, honestly, when I think about this, I, I love, love fat and rich food. You're like, well, that's obvious, Dave. Look at you. No, fat and rich food. I'm out, I'm out at, 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 at Charbono's last night. Did I pronounce that right? <laughs> okay, yeah, last night. I'm like, he said, what do you want? I want fat and rich food. I want you to put butter on it. I want you to wrap it in bacon and then just slap it onto my plate. I don't even need utensils. I'll just bury my face into it. I want fat and rich. Because you delight in that. I mean, you know, without the exaggeration, think of a Christmas dinner. Think about holiday feasting. Think about your favorite birthday meal. Do do you remember what it's like to be full and satisfied? That's what David's talking about. He says, I'm going to enjoy that again. That's going to be my experience again. Listen, are you empty today? Go back. Then preach faith until you have it, and then preach faith because you have it. Love others until you have it, and then love others because you have it. Give until you have it, give it because you have it. You know, it applies to every area of your life to kickstart some of the ways that you want to experience God. So we go up. We go back, and then lastly, we go loud. Go loud. Scripture reveals many of David's faults, but among them is not the absence of passion. 
And what I want to say about this is that God's answer for empty is not to put on the scuba gear and begin to descend into a morbid introspection of your heart and all the reasons why you may be where you are. There's not, it's not like there's never a place for that. But for David in this season, it's like things were so bad that he said, you know what, I just have to do something entirely counterintuitive. I have to do something that's completely outside of my experience that's going to kickstart my experience. And that is a whole body response to truth. I mean, just look at the number of times he talks about some kind of physical response in worship. He says, my lips, verse three, will praise you. Verse four, I will lift up my hands. Verse five, my mouth will praise you. Verse seven, I will sing for joy. It's, it's pretty amazing. You know, after going up and going back, David says, I'm going to respond with strong, truth-based affections for God. I'm gonna get loud. And going loud for David seems to mean doing it with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He goes loud. There is passion in what he's expressing. Now, I wish we knew one another better. And I'm really looking forward to the future where we will have opportunity to get to know one another better because you will discover how odd this particular point is coming from me. Because I envy people for whom passion comes easily or passion is part of their personality because that's not me. I was raised Presbyterian. I mean, I was raised, my, my family is part Dutch and I'm not talking about the, 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 the beer-chugging, happy Dutch. I'm talking about the other ones that are like the to-do list, do-gooder Dutch people. That was my part of the family. My dad was a steel worker in Pittsburgh. His dad was a steel worker in Pittsburgh. I might have seen my dad cry once, and that was when Franco Harris picked the immaculate reception <laughs> and ran it in for a touchdown, and the Steelers clinched the playoffs. And that was, that was the neighborhood I grew up in. The guys in my neighborhood were not like getting in touch with their feelings. And the few times their feelings were being expressed, four-letter words were being used to discuss their feelings. And, and honestly, I'm not, this is not an exaggeration. I, I remember being in the basement of the church where I was being married I was with my older brother, another guy who's wired the same way. We're both sitting there, not knowing what to say to one another. And all of a sudden, I had this burst of emotion where I just began to cry for about 15 seconds. And my brother was utterly aghast. And as soon as I was done, 15 seconds later, he looked at me and he said, what, what was that? And I looked at him and I said, I, I have no idea. I think it has something to do with the wedding later on today. I, I think because we were both wired that way and that's kind of how it was because I'm not analytical or I'm analytical, I'm not emotional. I'm not inclined to explore my feelings. I, I tend to just want to get stuff done. I, and, and, and my church environment, growing, I, you know, I grew up in a church where unless there was a robbery, no one's hands were in the air. 
okay? <laughs> so here's the reality that I had to come to grips with. And that is that when one reads scripture, strong affections for God, going loud, strong affections for God are a claim that my master makes upon me even when I'm empty. Even when I'm empty. Why? Well, because worship is not merely the the expression of present feelings. It's a response to past truth. Again, an, an empty tomb. A future that's glorious for us. It's a respond to other things outside of the way that we feel. Husbands, you, you know, you take your wife on a date, you don't debate whether to express affection, or you shouldn't. It's not like we're examining our preferences, our parents, you're thinking, hey, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, am I more American or British, or how should I think about myself? How do I score on the Myers-Briggs test? You know, what kind of temperament am I? What kind of type am I? No, it's, it's the marriage that calls forth affection. It's the marriage that we locked that down a long time ago. It's the marriage that calls forth affection. Sure, oh yes, absolutely. I've been married 38 years. Yeah, sometimes you feel empty, but that doesn't make me less married. Sometimes I feel empty, but that doesn't make me less loved. See, we are passionate about God, not because of how we feel, but because of how he feels about us something far more eternal and stable and secure. Not because of how we're wired, but because of what he's accomplished on our behalf. Because God was satisfied by Christ at the cross, we can be satisfied by God even when we feel empty. Now, I know you you might be sitting there thinking, Dave, you, you don't fully understand how bad things are right now. The doctor called and it's, it's bad. Or, or, or the debt is real. Or Dave, let me tell you about my depression. Let me tell you about empty. Let me tell you about what it feels to be flat. Let me tell you that, that getting out of bed some mornings is the most heroic thing I do in my life. To which I just want to appeal to you and say, I don't understand. David might understand a little bit more. But I want to encourage you by saying, don't miss the point being made in the passage, which is, empty is as empty does. It seems like David's approach goes something like this. I'm going to praise God until I am filled, and then I'm going to praise God because I am filled. I'm going to praise God until I am moved, and then I'm going to praise God because I am moved. I'm going to praise God until there is feeling, then I'm going to praise God because I have feeling. I'm going to praise God until I am satisfied, then I'm going to praise God because I am satisfied. David goes And there are times where I have to do the same thing. So if you are sitting at home this morning or sitting here this morning and you are not satisfied with your passion or you are not passionate about being satisfied, 
Well, you're in the right place. I mean, we can all identify with this challenge. But, but nevertheless, together, let us draw near to God and ask him to stir our affections and ask him to satisfy our quest for satisfaction and to help us to lift our voices with a new awareness that though we may feel empty, God is still worthy. Though we may feel empty, there is a God who is real that can fill us. Let's pray. Lord, my heart just goes out to people throughout this room and people that are listening at home right now. And something has been incited as a result of listening to Psalm 63. Lord, a desire has been incited for you it's not that their circumstance has changed at all. It's the same now as it was when they walked in. But there is now a desire to move towards you in a new way. Holy Spirit, I pray you would come down now and meet them in that desire. Give them courage and conviction to take a step to worship you. To take a step to move toward you. That you would fill them and that you would be the answer to empty. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.